this weekend. Um, greetings especially to those of you who are worshiping in our traditions venue as well as our West Greeley campus. I may not be able to see you, but we are thrilled that you're a part of what God is going to be doing here this weekend at Christ Community. Uh, my wife Patty and I are excited to be with you this weekend as we continue along in our series Life Inspired. Uh, this has been a great series of messages and we really look forward to sharing our hearts, our lives, and God's word with you uh, this weekend. But before we jump into the message, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about next weekend's baptism services, which we'll be having in all of our services on both of our campuses. Uh, in the Bible, baptism isn't something that we do to contribute to our salvation or to impress God in any way. Uh, it's an outward sign of our heart's desire to identify with Christ, to follow him, and to acknowledge that we're trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. It's celebrating his activity in our lives. And the analogy we like to give around here is a wedding ring. Uh, wearing a wedding ring doesn't make us married, simply wearing this ring. But once we commit ourselves to our life partner, a wedding ring is an outward symbol to reflect our heart's commitment. And in the same way, baptism doesn't make us a Christian. It shows that we already are one and are aligned at a heart level to Jesus Christ. And here at Christ Community, we believe the Bible teaches that baptism is something that every Christian is to do for themselves after the decision to follow Christ. It's not a take it or leave it proposition. And so we want to give you this opportunity next weekend if you have never been baptized. Maybe you've recently come to faith in Christ in Alpha or in one of our services or through some other means. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while but haven't seen it as being very important. It's kind of like a take it or leave it proposition. Um, no big deal. Instead of something that Jesus asked you to do as a part of following him. Uh, whoever you are, if you've made the decision to follow Christ and have never been baptized, next weekend's services are for you. And so here's how it's going to work. After this service and every service this weekend, both at 15th Street Campus and out west, we're going to be having a 45-minute orientation uh, session in order to explain what baptism is all about and answer any questions you might have. On the 15th Street Campus, it's going to be in the community room. Out west, it's going to be in the rear of the auditorium. Uh, some of you have already signed up to participate. You filled out your form online, and that's awesome. Bring it with you if you have it with you here tonight um, or this weekend. Uh, otherwise, just go to the um, community room on the 15th Street campus or to the back of the auditorium out west. Copies are available in the seat back at 15th and at tables by the door out west. Uh, next weekend, services are going to be awesome, and I hope each of you plans on coming uh, either to be baptized yourself or to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people within our church family. Throughout the series Life Inspired, we have been exploring and learning what's involved in living the kind of life that God calls us to live. And what we've been discovering is that there are three key elements involved in living an inspired life. The first is embracing the gospel, living in the present tense reality of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The second key element is experiencing the spirit, Living life with the keen awareness that the Spirit of God lives inside of us 24-7. And He's there to energize us, to speak to us, and to draw us into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. But the third key element to living an inspired life is engaging in mission. And it's what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks and what Patty and I are going to be continuing this weekend. Being a part of God's restoration plan for humanity making a difference in the lives of others, including those 
who are not yet followers of Christ or perhaps even interested remotely in following him. People who are broken, people who are lost, people who are in need of a relationship with him. Last weekend, Pastor Allen laid a great foundation for us to build upon and us talking about further with you today. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to watch it online. Well, this week, Bruce and I would like to focus on helping us to see the spiritual journey of others from their perspective and ways we can engage with them in meaningful ways at various points along the path, inspiring them to take steps forward in their journey toward Jesus instead of being immobilized by fear, frustration, or inadequacy. Right up front, we want to say we, we are not the experts. I mean, we don't have this all figured out by a long shot. Uh, we'd like to think of ourselves simply as followers of Christ who are trying to love people the best we can. And we want them to experience Christ no matter who they are or where they are in their spiritual journey. In saying this, though, uh, we want to also be up front in saying we've had to make some adjustments to our thinking in order to approach relationships and serve people in a way that's genuinely helpful for them and reflects the heart of Christ for them. Uh, we've had to begin where they are, not where we want them to be. And we're going to share a bit of this with you this weekend. Frankly, one of the things we've had to take into consideration and adapt to is because of how some well-meaning Christians have represented Christ and Christianity in general, the gospel, a lot of people that we have connected with have formed some pretty negative conclusions about Christians and Christianity. And we've had to seriously take that into consideration as we sought to begin a relationship with them. comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? I tend to think people who are socially conservative. A conservative Christian, uh, someone who's, who, you know, bigoted, uh, someone who still has, uh, who wants to keep the status quo, um, opposing gay marriage, opposing even uh, multiracial, biracial uh, unions. Do you think something changes when you become a Christian? Uh, no, I don't think so. You don't think that you live differently or anything like that? You think you just become a Christian and that's that? Yeah. Uh, I'm Italian and Catholic. And uh, in Italy, uh, I was born in Italy, uh, Catholics, we go to a church uh, Christmas, Easter, and funerals and weddings. So, you know, it doesn't mean that much. And I follow that. Do you like Christians? Do I like Christians? It's like saying, do I like ice cream? Yeah, ice cream is good. Yeah, I like Christians, yeah. Sure, I'm fine with Christians. I'm fine with anyone's uh, religious beliefs. I have probably more for Christians than against Christians, but some Christians are not Christian in their behavior, but more Christians in their affiliations. Yes, those are, they, you know, uh, don't try to impose their will on other people, and those that follow the Ten Commandments, I, I like them. Neutral. I'm neutral on the subject. I, I judge them on what they do first. Um, if they start proselytizing, um, opening the Bible and um, quoting scripture, um, then I stay the farthest away because that person is trying. I think that attitude is very extremist, which is dangerous. So in light of responses like this and perceptions of Christians and Christianity, where do we begin? 
how can we be thinking differently about the process and our role and some of the ways we might engage with our friends, our family members, our colleagues, our neighbors in a more inspiring, life-giving way? Ecclesiastes 3.11, it tells us this, that God has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the entire scope of God's activity from beginning to end. I think where all of us need to start in our relationship with people in our world, it's this. It's that God is already at work in their lives and in their circumstances, despite how it may appear. Uh, We're not stepping into it alone. He is already there when we arrive. And God asks us to join him in his work and progress in the lives of people around us. He calls us to partner with him and to journey alongside people as friends and to help them experience God's heart for them to connect the dots of his activity in their lives and to do it in a helpful, sincere way, to be listeners, to be servants and people that they can genuinely relate to. I also believe that if we're going to genuinely connect with non-Christians, it has to start inside of us. It has to begin at a heart level. If people think that they're merely a project or that we're engaging with them in order to fulfill a religious obligation to convert them to Jesus, uh, they'll see right through us. And we'll be done before we ever try to start a relationship with them. Matthew 9, 36 says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Are we willing to see people the way Jesus does and allow our hearts to be moved to a place of compassion as a result? People are God's most precious creation. They matter to him. And so we need to ask ourselves, do they really matter to us? Are we willing to love people unconditionally, um, just the way they are, not, not the way we want them to be? Loving means withholding judgment. Are we willing to take the first step in moving toward people who are spiritually lost and broken and in need being ourselves, being friends, and being a safe place, creating safe places for them to explore. I want to be honest with you. Back in the spring of 2006, I became really discontented. Uh, I became very keenly aware that I wasn't doing this pretty well. Uh, I was very insulated and felt that God was calling me to take the first move, to make the first move in getting out of my comfort zone in order to connect with people far from where I was in my relationship with God. And to do it solely for the purpose of reflecting the heart of Christ in life-giving ways to the people he'd send my way. And so I began simply by praying that God would open the door for this to occur. Um, I had no idea what it would look like. I had no idea how it would unfold. All I knew is that I wanted God to use me and I wasn't driven by an agenda in the least. And what God did was really pretty amazing in opening two doors pretty quickly in response to my prayer. The first door was to a relationship with Marlon Lavener, who is the senior minister of the largest Unitarian Universalist church in the world in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, If you know anything about Unitarian Universalists, uh, their theology and overall life orientation is probably the polar opposite of ours. And many who have converted to that religion have done so because of their rejection of Christianity and their experiences with Christian. And their ministers are known for making Christians look like bigoted, closed-minded, self-righteous zealots. 
My relationship with Marlon really began in a very unexpected, simple way. Uh, I was surfing the web one night and was looking at churches that are very different than, than our own. And I stumbled onto his church's website. And what I discovered was that he was on a leave of absence because his three-year-old daughter had died suddenly and he was taking time to heal. I had never met him, but I simply said, I'm going to shoot him an email. His email address was on the website and express my concern as well as my condolences. I didn't expect anything to happen. And so I was really shocked several weeks later when he replied. But he was curious about what would make me, an evangelical pastor, show him such concern. Because up to this point, his only experience with evangelical Christians were angry rants against him in the paper, bomb threats on his church on a Sunday morning, and picket signs with Bible verses when he marched in the gay pride parade. I mean, I was nervous. I had never had a relationship with someone like this. He's got degrees from Harvard, pastoring a church about our size, and yet the polar opposite to me. I was insecure, and yet God did some amazing things. The second relational door got open was because I decided to start playing trivia on Sunday nights at Bears Sports Grill on 8th Avenue in Garden City. Now, I want to tell you this. For years, I have been called the repository of useless knowledge. And so I figured, you know, I might as well redeem this for kingdom purposes and get involved in playing trivia with a bunch of people uh, who were very, very different than me, probably people I wouldn't connect with otherwise. And I want to tell you, taking this step has had ramifications relationally and spiritually far beyond what I ever would have imagined. Uh, Just last week, I counted 64 people who I am still connected with in some relational, spiritual way, even though Bears closed in 2011. Well, I've always had a sense of God using me in my role as a public school teacher and administrator. Um, Around this time, Bruce and I also made the decision to get to know our neighbors better uh, so we could build a trust with them. So about nine years ago, we planned a Christmas uh, gathering for our neighbors, and uh, we did this with uh, involving a couple of our other uh, church families on the cul-de-sac. Well, we didn't plan with any kind of an agenda um, other than getting our neighbors together and uh, having some food and drinks, and we just hoped they would come. Well, this first gathering has led to a biannual event that has allowed us to enter our neighbors' lives, um, be trusted by them, and for them to get to know us with no agenda, just simply as people interested in them who just so happen to be Christians. A few years ago, two guys by the name of Don Everts and Doug Shop became really troubled by the walls that have existed between and built between non-Christians and Christians, and the seeming ineffectiveness of a lot of Christians to bring those walls down in any relational ways. And so what they did is they started asking some questions, and as a result, their curiosity led them to have conversations with 2,000 people who were once lost and very far from God, cynical and skeptical. But at some point along their spiritual journey, crossed the line of faith and became authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And what they did is they asked a lot of questions, they listened to their stories, and they discovered some common thresholds for each of them along the path to faith in Christ. I mean, of course, the the thresholds looked different for each person and they were, were timed differently for each person. But for each of them, they were there in one way, shape, or form. And here's the kicker for us. 
For each person, they discovered God used a Christ follower to lovingly nurture them, engage with them, and provide what they needed along their spiritual journey, not just in the moment, but eventually taking one step farther towards Jesus, one step at a time. And they eventually wrote a book entitled, I Once Was Lost, and we have copies in the bookstore at the 15th Street campus if you want to check it out. Amazing book, amazing book. Patty and I have read it. But as we've read about these thresholds, we found, you know, they really made a lot of sense. They really made a lot of sense. And we saw them playing out pretty consistently in the relationships that God enabled us to develop. And so as we share some of our stories with you for our, the rest of our time here this weekend, uh, we want to talk about not only how we can be helpful, but we want to do so through the lens of these thresholds. The first threshold is trusting a Christian. Somewhere along the line, each of these people who made the journey from being skeptical and cynical and lost to a personal relationship with Christ began by trusting a Christian. Not Christians or Christianity or the church, but a Christian, a person who they could develop a relationship with. If you think about it, uh, this is a lot like how God connected with humanity through his son Jesus. He lived a life among us as a real human being. He didn't merely just de deliver information or pop in and out of a photo op. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message reads it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. As a result, we saw the glory of God with our own eyes. Because of the relationships that began to develop with people on our cul-de-sac since the initial Christmas gathering, uh, I was able to develop a friendship with a woman who lived two doors down from me. When I saw her outside, I would, I would quickly go out to her house and we would chat. We would get lawn chairs. We would sit on her front porch and share stories about our children and our careers in education. My friend often shared her political and religious views and made it quite clear that she had zero tolerance for people who she considered narrow-minded, namely Christians. Interestingly enough, she knew that Bruce was a pastor and that I'm a pastor's wife, and, and yet she was comfortable talking about spiritual matters with me. Why? Because she trusted me. And I knew I accepted her even though our views did not match. I listened more than I talked to that neighbor, which resulted in her knowing that while our views were different, she was accepted and respected as a person in spite of them. My relationship uh, with Marlon as it unfolded really had a lot of similar themes. Uh, he was very open with me and as he would share stories about how Christians treated him rudely and called him names and threw things at him and told him he was going to hell and how fast he was going to go there. I told him how sorry I was that he was treated in that way and that people chose to respond that way and I listened. I remained engaged with him and told him that the Jesus that he and a lot of his congregation were rejecting was not the Jesus of the Bible. And that from my perspective, I would reject that kind of Jesus too. He found that really intriguing and it opened the door to some fascinating conversations that are still going on. 
The key to uh, this relationship, or to this threshold, is simply spending time with people and inviting God to use you in their life. Uh, listening more than talking and showing um, and allowing God to build that relationship and to avoid having an agenda with them. The second threshold is curiosity. Trusting a Christian, curiosity. And here's the way it plays out, that as people are living with us as friends and establishing trusts and, and finding out that we're Christians, there'll come a time when a genuine intrigue or a curiosity begins to emerge about what makes us tick, what makes us tick. And I really believe we need to be looking for this threshold. I think we need to be praying that it will occur, not so that we can uh, kick a door open and give someone 25 books to read and 15 Bible verses to memorize, but so that we can be attentive and begin talking naturally about our relationship with Christ and why we choose to follow him. The Bible actually encourages us to do this. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes, live wisely among those who are not yet believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive, compelling. And in 1 Peter 3, Peter says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Pastor Allen mentioned last week, one of the occupational hazards about being a pastor is once people find out what you do for a living, uh, they begin hitting the rewind button and thinking about every four-letter word that they've said in your presence, and they begin apologizing for a lot of things, and then they redirect the conversation to general statements about religion and morality. However, in the network of people that I began to develop a friendship with by pet playing trivia, that didn't occur. Because they first got to know me as an accepting friend and then as a Christian, when they discovered that I was a pastor, their eyes were open. There was a genuine intrigue because I had broken the mold of what they had come to expect of Christians and the church and even religious leaders. And the result is that they began asking a lot of questions. Again, I heard a lot of horror stories about Christians and churches and the way they were treated. Some of them would actually try to shock or repel me and were curious why I continued to hang around them and enjoy being with them when they were so hostile. What's very interesting is that while at this threshold of curiosity, a number of them would invite me to officiate their weddings, which I did, would to pray with them when their loved ones were dying, which I did, and to counsel them and to provide some insight for them when relationships in their life headed south or they were fresh out of jail. When I was assistant principal at Madison Elementary School, um, one time I had a teacher come into my office and she closed the door and she just began crying. Uh, I'd worked with this teacher for two years, and, and I had developed a pretty good relationship with her. Um, I felt comfortable to hold her hand and to listen as she explained how her sister was destroying her life with drugs. I was pleasantly surprised that she trusted me enough uh, to, to share this story with me, and then, and then she turned to me with tears in her eyes and she asked me to pray for her sister. She knew that I depended on God in my life and, and she was curious about what that looked like in the midst of her sister's struggles. I didn't initiate the conversation. She sought me out and because she wanted to hear me call out to God. 
God put this curiosity inside of her, and I simply joined in his work when she came to my office. I'd like to return for a moment to my relationship with Marlon Lavender, because at this threshold of curiosity, something happened that I never would have expected. In the fall of 2011, Patty and I were invited to Tulsa to attend the wedding of somebody from our church. And after we said, yeah, we were coming, I shot my friend Marlon an email and I said, guess what, I'm going to be in Tulsa. Do you think the roof of your church would cave in if I came there on Sunday morning for worship? And he replied and he said, the only way I'm going to let you come to my church on Sunday morning for worship is if you speak. And I thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. Now, I want to remind you, this is a church about our size, representing the polar opposite of what we believe in almost every area, with many people in that church walking away from Christianity to become members there. What wound up happening is Marlon and I shared the five-year journey of our relationship together. And uh, in the process, he told his congregation that the only reason he invited me to come and to speak at his church is because he trusted me and that in the process of our relationship, he learned what it meant to be a Christian in a way that he never would have expected. And so then he, when, when we were sharing this with the congregation, he did something that really blew my mind. He apologized to me and his congregation for putting Christians in a bad light and encouraged them to take Jesus more seriously. In response, I was able to apologize to him and his congregation for the way that some well-meaning Christians misrepresented Jesus, encouraging them to consider the Jesus of the Bible and not the caricature that they had come to expect and that they were walking away from. And the result was a standing ovation and a really long line of people to talk with me after each service. And, and I just want to say, if you're interested in watching the whole message, you can go to YouTube and just type in my name in the word Tulsa, and it's the first one. It was a fascinating Sunday. Well, threshold three is being open to change. It's a pretty significant threshold. Uh, to use the analogy that Pastor Allen introduced last weekend, we've planted seeds by building trust. We've watered them by cultivating curiosity. But now, these ripe conditions, we see a shoot being able to be emerged, beginning to emerge. At this threshold, a person begins thinking what it would look like for them personally to apply what they've been discovering about Jesus because of our friendship. They've not made any firm conclusions yet, and in the end, they may go AWOL, but they're openly considering, what if? Remember the rich young ruler in Mark 10 who came to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's at this threshold. He, he does what Jesus, or excuse me, how does Jesus respond? Mark 10, 21 and 22 tells us, Jesus says, go sell everything that you have and then come and follow me. At this, man, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, this may look like the wrong outcome, right? But what's happening here is, is Jesus is helping this man to connect the dots. That in order to follow him, it's, it's going to impact the way he views his resources. Um, Jesus isn't teaching that he has to do something to contribute to his salvation, but rather helping him to realize that 
following him is going to touch every area of his life. In this man's case, he walked away because he wasn't ready to follow Jesus on these terms. And he knew why. In his openness, he connected the dots. Another time, a colleague came into my office at school and sat down and simply said, Patty, I need something to change in my life to get through what I'm currently going through. So I asked her what she was going through, and and she proceeded to tell me about her husband of 33 years leaving her for another woman. My friend knew that a change needed to happen in her life and that she didn't have what it took to walk through this storm, this divorce. She knew she needed God and what he could do for her in the midst of her devastation. Well, I was able to talk to her about what Jesus did for her on the cross and, and what it means to have a relationship with God. Well, my friend was desperately open to change at a time in her life when she knew she needed a rock. In much the same way, uh, one of the friendships that I've been able to develop is with a man who was raised in the Jehovah's Witnesses and several years ago walked away from this religion as well as God. And, and now he's struggling with alcoholism and he's, he's living with a woman other than his wife and his whole family knows it and he doesn't think that there's anything wrong with this arrangement. But I've also become friends with this man's son, who isn't much older than my own son. And about two months ago, both of them came to me independently, and they asked me this question. If God were to do something to fix this mess, what do you think he'd do? Because something has to change. And my initial response to both of them was, I think he'd begin by having you take him more seriously. And when they asked what this meant, uh, it opened the door to a really long conversation with each of them that's still continuing to this day. As a matter of fact, I talked with the son just on Friday night. And they're both still very open and realize that God longs to reach out to them in their chaos. But they also know it's going to require cooperation with him on their part. Threshold four. Threshold four is seeking God. Seeking God. And probably the best way to describe this threshold is when a person moves from just meandering around in spiritual conversations to really wanting to make some solid conclusions for themselves about what it means to trust Christ. They begin leaning into their spiritual quest and realizing they can't remain where they are for the long term, a lot like my friend and his son. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, declares the Lord. And Acts 17 reminds us that God's purpose is for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And probably the most significant thing that we can do at this threshold as we're in relationship with people is to fuel their search, to remind them that God's face is turned toward them. He is near to them. He is interested in their pursuit, that their questions matter to him and that they also matter to us. And this is where you might invite someone to join with you in coming to Alpha, where you might bring them to church or go to the web and watch a pertinent message and and process it with them, where you might get a book or a little pamphlet and talk through it, a book or a pamphlet for spiritual seekers, because chances are they'll say yes. 
And the key is for us to remain engaged with them at this point and to, to help clarify any misconceptions they might have about God or the gospel message that may be hindering their seeking. Also, to tell your own story, we talked a bit about this last week, to share how did you come to faith in Christ? Why do you follow him? What are some of the questions you asked at the time? What are some of the questions you're still asking to be vulnerable and to be real? A few months ago, I received a text from a colleague who asked me to go out for coffee. Um, so I quickly accepted, and uh, since I hadn't seen her in several months, well, after we caught up, and my friend told me that she recently had an encounter with a Christian that really concerned her. She told me that this individual said that people who don't accept Jesus as Savior go to hell, and that this person made a really big deal about it. Well, she asked me to explain it to her and help her to understand what this meant. I was able to explain that the Bible does indeed talk about heaven being a place of, of uh, eternal communion with God, and hell is a place of eternal separation from God. But what I did with my friend is I stressed the fact that God's desire is for everyone to have a relationship with him here on earth and in heaven when we die. I was also able to share with her that there's a big difference between religion and relationship with God. Well, my friend shed some tears and asked more questions. God used this experience to have my friend seek him. One of the guys I've been, with, been friends with for a number of years since I started playing trivia is a guy that I've discussed spiritual things with many times. And actually, uh, this is one of the guys who made a sport out of debating me. It's kind of like grow the pastor type thing. And, uh, but in the process, we become somewhat close because I remained engaged with him. Well, he's recently developed a relationship with another member of our church who he's also come to respect as a follower of Christ. And he, he shared this with me recently at a gathering. And at this gathering, he said, you know, one of these days, we're going to have to have a serious conversation about this stuff. He called it the talk. One of these days, we're going to have to have the talk, and I'm finally going to have to get off the fence. And I told him I was ready when he was. Well, back in September, his dad tragically passed away, and I sent him a text expressing condolences and said, you know, if you want to get together, I'd be more than happy to do so. The next night, he texted back and asked if I'd come to his house, and he told everyone else to stay away, but he asked if I would come and spend some time with them. And we spent about three hours sitting at his fire pit as he just poured out his heart and, and opened it at the same time to the Lord. Almost immediately, I began seeing him realize he needed to have a relationship with Christ, and he knew it. He also knew that God loved him, that God was not stiff-arming him. And in the midst of his grief, he needed to be open to what God needed to do in his life. And we ended that conversation that night because it was really, really late and I was tired and falling asleep at the fire pit. But I found out afterwards that he had shared this uh, conversation with a lot of our friends. And he also shared about his openness to God and his spiritual seeking. We agreed that we would connect again soon. Let's talk about threshold number five. Threshold five, which is the final threshold, is where a person decides that they're ready to follow Christ. They're ready to repent and believe the gospel for themselves. 
And while they might not have everything neatly figured out, which, which let's be honest, which of us here has things neatly figured out? They're ready to commit themselves to Jesus as one of his followers. In Mark 4, Jesus tells the story of about a farmer in order to make a deeper spiritual point. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. First the leaf blade pushes through and the heads of wheat are formed and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for the harvest time has come. The key for us at this threshold is to harvest what God has brought to pass in the heart of our friend and what he's partnered with us to bring to fruition. In practical terms on our end, it means putting into words the gospel. What is the gospel and how do we communicate it clearly so that we can help them understand it and respond to it for themselves? Several years ago, God kept bringing my cousin Becky to my mind. Um, she was graduating from college, and I, I knew I'd see her at an upcoming family event at my grandmother's house. So I wasn't quite sure how I would do, I would do it, but I kept feeling, feeling the nudging of the Holy Spirit telling me to share the complete gospel message with her. I hadn't really communicated with Becky in a while since she was um, away at school, so I was a little apprehensive even thinking about talking to her about God things. So after the meal at my grandmother's house, uh, I thought I would just, just jump off the high dive and not too think, think too much about it. And I said, Becky, I said, God has recently brought you to my mind several times. She said, that's really interesting because um, I really am feeling the need to find a church. I really am feeling the need to go to church. And I said, why? And, and she said, well, it, I just feel like it's important at this time during my life. Well, again, we discussed the, a, a, this, the topic of religion versus relationship and what, um, what God was doing and seemed to re be redoing is that she was really receptive to my words. Um, then I did something that was a little weird at the time. Um, I got a paper plate, and I wrote on it how Christ um, died for her. Um, so what I did was I drew a little stick figure on one side of the plate and explained that um, God made us for, to, to have a perfect relationship with him, um, but that sin separated us from God. I explained how the Bible tells us that Jesus bridged that gap um, by sending his son Jesus to the cross. And so I, I talked to Becky about how God invites us to admit our sin and to put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Um, and that we would not only have eternal life, but the opportunity to experience a changed life through Christ. And so I drew a cross between um, the little stick man, Jesus, and the word God there. And the result was that Becky did accept Christ. And I'm not sure if it was that very moment on that very holiday in my grandma's, uh, at my grandma's house or, or it was later, but I know that today she's a Christ follower. 
Um, she has been for many years. She's involved in her church, and she's growing in God's word. Um, so the grain, Becky, was ready to be harvested, and, and God showed me this by bringing her to my mind. Again, I joined in on what he was already doing in, in Becky's life. About a month after my friend's dad's funeral, he texted me. And he asked if I was free for lunch the next day, and, and I was. And so we met up for lunch here at Applebee's in Greeley. And as soon as I sat down, he said, here's the deal. He said, I need you to tell me as simply as you can how I can begin a relationship with God. Do you think you can do that? And I said, yeah, I might be able to put some words to that. And I smiled, and I said, you know... Let's talk through this. And I proceeded to walk him through the rhythms of the gospel we had talked about just a couple weeks ago, creation and fall and redemption and restoration. And I invited him to embrace God's vision for his life and to step into the story that God was writing for him, to begin a relationship with him. And he did. Uh, actually, it would be a month ago tomorrow that all this happened. And uh, we were together for a wedding the next day. And as Patty and I were leaving... Uh, he stopped us as we were going out the door. And he thanked me, first of all, for buying him lunch, which of course I did, given the circumstances. But he said, you know, probably looking back, yesterday is going to go down as one of the best days of my life. So when it comes to living an inspired life in relationship with people who aren't yet followers of Christ, it, it can be tempting to do it in a way that serves us. In other words, it is comfortable for us and doesn't call us to go beyond the limits of, of where we've ever been before in relationship with people who really matter deeply to God. However, when we live this way, uh, the results can often be uninspiring and downright alienating to these people. But when we invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and, and to see our friends, our, our neighbors, our colleagues, our family members, as Jesus does, we're able to connect with them in life-giving ways, uh, responding to what they need in their spiritual journey at a moment, and, and while discerning how we can best help them take the next step in their journey toward Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Even with the greatest insights and most practical wisdom, each of us has a decision to make. Will we put the needs of other people before our own? Or will we do what we want? Will we do what's comfortable or do nothing at all? In Jesus, may each of us, each of us, lay down our lives as well as our preferences and lovingly serve the people around us who have yet to experience the inspired life that Jesus came to provide. That's our prayer for ourselves. It's also our prayer for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity you have given each of us in this room to experience the gospel to be embraced by your grace and to be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we thank you for the fact that you took the first step toward us in pursuing us. And your face is turned toward us. Mm -hmm. It is open 
It is wide. It is smiling. Thank you for the message of the gospel that we are set free from the trap of performance. And Jesus, I pray that you would use us in life-giving ways in the people we, in the lives of people we know. That you would help us to take steps that might take us places farther than we've ever gone before. Yet would enable us to communicate your heart and your love and to serve people in Jesus' name. Jesus, I pray that you would enable us to be the fragrance of Christ and not the stench that sometimes has found itself in the nostrils of people who are walking away from you. Help us to clarify misconceptions. Help us to serve and to show your heart as a serving, giving God. And Jesus, I pray more than anything, you would use us. Use us and change us from the inside out as we go places in conversations and in relationships that will enable us to trust you and to experience you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. You know, it's, it's fitting, really, this weekend that we're going to be sharing in communion as a part of our service here. Communion is a picture, it's, it's a symbol of what Christ has done in coming to earth to live among us, both as a human being as well as God. It's a tangible reminder that, that he crossed the ultimate threshold, the threshold of heaven. And he came to earth to reveal the heart of God in practical sacrificing ways, ultimately resulting in him going to the cross to pay for our sins. It's a reminder that, that love acts and that God loves us deeply. The bread is a reminder that Christ became a human being and he took all of our sins, knowing everything there is to know about us. He took that sin and he bore it in his body. The cup and the juice is a reminder that Christ has cleansed us from all of our sins, past, present, and future, by his blood. And he makes us new people from the inside out. It's a reminder that God's deepest longing is that every single person on planet Earth and within our world would know that he did it for them, just as he did it for you and for me. Throughout the worship center, we have several tables, and on each is a loaf of bread and a cup of juice, representing the body and blood of Christ. And what I'd like to invite you to do um, is as the worship team comes, to simply approach one of these tables. We have a couple down front, others in the rear. And break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And you may choose to partake there or go back to your seat as we worship and just spend some alone time with the Lord, thanking him for his goodness and his grace. This is our time together to worship the Christ who is at the core of the message we communicate the lover of our souls, the source of our salvation, the substance of the gospel. Please stand now as the worship team comes and leads us. <laughs> 